reminder that we are raising funds for our friends in Haiti. You know what's going on on that island and some of the desperation. And so we have a contact in Fennel in the House of Abraham. And so all of the money that we raise will be going to Fennel. And he's putting together teams. Their area wasn't overly affected. So he's putting together teams to go and help their fellow Haitians. And so we're helping Haitians help Haitians. No gift is too small. If it's done, it'll make a big difference. And uh, so you can go to, again, meethope slash give. In the drop-down menu, if you select Pastors Fund, um, any money that comes in for that fund last week and this coming week will all go to support our friends in Haiti. So just a reminder about that. We're going to be talking this morning about sheep and shepherds. Any shepherds here today? Any? No, shepherds. Um, I know they're friends of mine who pastor churches, and the language of sheep and shepherds is pretty common. They talk about the pastor as the shepherd, and they talk about the church as the flock, and so they're sheep. And I've never been really comfortable with that kind of language. You know, shepherds and sheep are two different species, you know, so to think of the pastor as a different, wholly different thing than the congregation, um, and one, you know, being the lead and the others being, you know, because sheep are dumb, um, <laughs> it sets up a, a weird kind of scenario that can create dysfunction and, and people actually can get hurt. So I know that doesn't always happen just because they use that language, but that's why personally I've never adopted that language. But the fact is, all of us do need a guide. All of us do need a protector. All of us need someone to lead us. We need a shepherd. And with that in mind, I want to look at John chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. Listen to these words that Jesus said to his disciples. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd. And so today, as we continue in this series, the Gospel According to David, we're going to be looking at David at a time in his life when he was a shepherd. Now, for those of you who don't know, David was the youngest son of Jesse, and his role in the family was that of the shepherd of the family's herd of both sheep and goats. And uh, so even though he was the youngest in the family, um, he was ultimately anointed to be king. You can read about that in 1 Samuel chapter 16. So real briefly, um, God was done with Saul. Saul had gone off the rails and God was done with King Saul. And he wanted his prophet Samuel to go out and to anoint a new king who would eventually become king. And so he went to Bethlehem. Samuel went to Bethlehem. He meets Jesse. He meets Jesse's sons, and he's like, none of these guys are the right guy. Do you have any other sons? And Jesse said, well, yeah, my youngest, who's out shepherding. David comes in. Samuel sees David and says, this is the guy. And he anoints David 
to be a king. Now, it's a long story and a lot of twists and turns before David actually becomes the king, but he was anointed in that moment. Shepherding, as you may know, is considered a kind of bottom of the barrel type of job. Nobody really wanted to be a shepherd. And David didn't view it that way. David understood that in this role, I can learn valuable life lessons. And in fact, he did. He learned lessons about leadership. He learned lessons about himself. He learned lessons about God. And as he was out in these fields, he wasn't thinking about, you know, this terrible job I have and so forth. In fact, as I was researching this message a few weeks ago, I came across a great quote I wanted to share this with you. It said this, David wasn't thinking about being king when he was tending sheep. He was just doing what God set before him. That's a great definition of a spiritual life. That's a great way to live. To rather than be, you know, at a time in your life where you feel like you're not where you want to be and so forth, rather than feeling frustrated and complaining and wasting time, we can learn from David to view this time in our lives as an educational opportunity, right? And so here's David. He's shepherding these sheep. He's doing what God put before him, and he's journaling these experiences, And he's a pretty prolific writer. And he writes what we now would call the book of Psalms. He writes these lyrics, these poems of things that he's learning. He did it throughout his life, including the time when he was a shepherd. So if you were to take all of the Psalms that David wrote and then do the greatest hits, Psalm 23 would be right in the top five, don't you think? Maybe even number one. For some of you, probably number one. And really, we call it Psalm 23, but you might want to call it Lessons Learned While Tending Sheep, or Leadership Lessons Learned While Tending Sheep. It's only six verses, but this psalm is packed with insights and deep wisdom. And so what I want to do for the rest of our time is just briefly look at each of these verses, each one individually, and unpack it just a little bit to see what lessons we can draw from the lessons that David learned while he was out tending sheep. So verse 1 starts, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Now you may know it in uh, different versions, so as I'm reading it, Uh, I'm reading it from the New International Version. You may know it from King James. It'll sound slightly different or one of the other translations. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. Now, there's an inferred because in this opening. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Or I lack nothing because the Lord is my shepherd. A good shepherd takes care of the sheep, tends to all of the things that a shepherd is going to need. And so David is going to go through this psalm, and he's going to talk about the things that the shepherd does so that the sheep doesn't have any needs. One of the things that he doesn't talk about, however, is he talks about the job of the shepherd, but what is the job of the sheep? The job of the sheep 
is to be a sheep, right? The job of the sheep is to be a sheep, to do what sheep do with this one caveat. Keep your eye on the shepherd. As long as you've got your eye on the shepherd, if you're a sheep, you're in good shape. You're in sheep shape, right? (laughs) As long as you've got your eye on the shepherd, when a sheep wanders off, gets out of sight of the shepherd, things can go terribly wrong for sheep. So they have this one job, keep your eye on the shepherd. Verse 2 then. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. Green pastures, quiet waters, what's that represent for sheep? Food and drink, right? Food and water. The basic things that sustain life. The shepherd makes sure the sheep have the basic things, food and water, to sustain life. Jesus said, don't worry about things like that. He said, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to be drinking or the clothes you're going to wear. God knows you need that stuff. Don't make that the focus of your life. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Part of that prayer was, give us this day our daily what? Bread, our daily provision. Give us those things, Lord, that we need for life. The good shepherd makes sure that we have those basic necessities of life. Verse 3, then, he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Here we are at the center of this six-verse psalm. And right in the center is the center of really the nature of who God is, what God does for us, who Jesus is, what Jesus does for us. It's the nucleus of our spiritual life. This is so essential. If we were just going to look at one verse today, it would be verse 3 of Psalm 23 because of its centrality to our faith. He refreshes my soul. Other translations say he restores it. Literally, in the Hebrew uh, word, it means to return to its original state to return something to its original state. When Marilyn and I were in Haddonfield, in the Parsonage in Haddonfield, it was an old house built in the uh, 19-teens, and uh, it looked, it had all the character of an old house and so forth, along with the the big wide baseboards and this big uh, front door with side panels and beveled glass and all of that kind of stuff, all painted white and not really very attractive. But we noticed on one of the baseboards some chipping, and it looked like there was some nice wood under there. So we scraped a little more away, and we could see that it was this chestnut wood. So we decided we were going to strip all of the paint off those baseboards and that front door. And it was a long, arduous process. But when it was done, we had this beautiful, glowing, gorgeous chestnut wood It changed the whole character of our living room. When I think of restoration, I think of that. Jesus, on the cross, 
was transforming our lives. He was restoring our souls back to its original state before sin entered the picture. And through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, our soul, our relationship, our standing with a holy God is completely restored back to its original state of rightness before a holy God. And he leads us then in paths of righteousness, in right ways. Jesus is leading us through right ways. Leadership, in my definition, is movement. Leadership is movement. A leader moves people from where they are to someplace else, and a good leader leads people from where they are to someplace better. So Jesus is leading us through life. He's leading us through this experience of life to someplace better. Where's that someplace better? He's leading us home. He's leading us to our heart's true home, to an eternity with our holy God. You know, everybody dies, but not everybody finds their way home. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you so that you can be with me where I am. And I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is leading us home. We talk here about being a disciple, being in the process of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ for the sake of others that we are in this process of reformation, restoration. He's peeling away, he's stripping away all of those layers of sin and brokenness that each of us have in our lives to restore us to our original state of being right in the face of a holy God. And he's going to guide us all the way through. So then as we move then into verse four, it says this, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even though I walk through darkest valley, some of you uh, know it as, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Notice he doesn't say, if I walk through, he says, even though I walk through. All of us walk through dark times, unfamiliar times, hard times, harsh things in life. Maybe it's something that you've experienced. Maybe you've experienced it more than once in your life. Maybe you're living in a dark period right now. And this verse is for you. Even though I walk through this dark place, it could be a job loss, loss of income. It could be an illness, an addiction, a divorce, whatever it might be. But just as we just sang that every victory is the Lord's, the battle is his. We belong to him. He is the reason 
that we fear no evil. It's not that we're fearless, because the reality is when we're in really dark times, when we're in those valleys of the shadow, it's normal to be afraid. But we don't have to live into fear because the battle is his. And every victory comes because he is with us and for us. The shepherd carries with him two tools, a rod and a staff. A rod is a club, and the club is there to fend off any wild animal that might attack the herd and come after the sheep, right, for a little lamb dinner. And so the shepherd has this club to be able to fend off the attack of this wild beast. And the shepherd has a staff. And the staff is, and you've seen these, right? A long stick or pole, and it's got the big hook at the end of it. And that's there to guide sheep, particularly when they're going through a narrow passageway. Maybe there's a drop-off, and, or maybe there's thorn bushes, and he's using that staff to keep the sheep on the path moving in the right direction. What David is telling us is that Jesus, the good shepherd, God as our shepherd, is protecting us and guiding us when we're in harsh and difficult times. And that's the reason that we don't need to be afraid even as we walk through the dark valleys. Then verse 5, it says, You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. The scene moves from this dark valley to this sprawling banquet table. But here's the thing. It doesn't say that on the other side of the dark valley... It says that even in the presence of my enemies, even in the midst of the dark place, even in the valleys, God is offering us a banquet. The Lord lavishes us with a rich hospitality, even in the darkest place. This past uh, Friday, I was with a group of friends from here at Hope. There are uh, nine or ten of us, um, and it was at, uh, for dinner. And we were at a, one of the members' homes, and as this scene was unfolding, because I knew I was preaching about Psalm 23, I, I kept flashing back to verse 5 and this banquet table. So here we are with good friends and warm hospitality, great food and drink, and too much of all of that, and of course, laughter and so forth, and it was just this wonderful moment of hospitality. Here in the midst, I thought, of hardship, here in the midst of pandemic, here in the midst of struggles that are going on around the world, here in the midst that maybe people around this table are struggling, and we have this respite of grace in the midst of hardship, a respite of grace. What that looks like in terms of our spiritual lives, what does this you know, really mean? It's not act, you know, an actual that God puts down a table, is it? But in a spiritual sense, God gives us a respite of grace. 
a deep sense of peace in the midst of the dark place, a sense of joy, an insight that gives us the courage and the ability to move forward. Sometimes there's a physical component to it, right? That God prompts somebody to send us a note that comes right at the right time to speak into our lives a word of encouragement, to do an act of kindness. It's a respite of grace in the midst of a difficult time. And then verse 6. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David ends this epic song with a lyric of hope. God's goodness and God's love will follow me everywhere I go every single day. Love will be present. God's peace will be present. God's goodness will be present even on your worst day. Goodness and mercy will follow you. And that the good shepherd is going to lead us through valleys of shadows, taking care of our every need and leading us to our heart's true home, where when we arrive, we will hear the words ringing through eternity as we stand before him. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come on in. This amazing psalm, written thousands of years ago, wasn't written by a scholar or a philosopher or some guy who is at the end of his life having had all of these experiences. This was written by a young man in a dead-end job, but who loved God with all of his heart. And so, my fellow sheep, what's our job? To follow, to keep our eyes on the good shepherd who will lead us and guide us all the days of our lives.